That's okay. I can line it up later. That was... No, that went fine. I clapped the same time you did. Bullshit. <laughs> was yours like a second... No, I clapped the same time as you. Hey, but this is how we do it. We get off on stuff, you know. That's our wow. That was, sounded worse. But it's actually true. Thank you for joining us today. This is worth the admission podcast. I am B Frank, and I'm Travis. And here we talk about many things: movies, TV, and fandom. Pretty much anything pop culture. You can try and rely on us for it. And you did give me my top ten list. So Brando, Yerp. Yes, I said Yerp. Yerp. Oh, Yerp. Not. It's supposed to be Yarp and Narp. Yeah, it depends on what universe you're in. Uh, speaking of universe, the crossover event for DC, Else, Elseworlds. Let's talk about that because I, you know me, I try to keep up on it as much as I can, but I know you are the resident knowledge, you know, you're the you're the expert here in DC, especially on TV. I know you are in love with those shows. Tell me about it. Tell me what you thought because I know what I, I loved it from just a standpoint of it's everybody on screen at once, and you know me. I love when that happens. That's why I love the Avengers and things like that, just full cast. But I want to get your thoughts on this. Well, it's always fun getting the whole cast together because, one, it's just very difficult to film based on everybody's schedule. But, two, last year's crossover event was four episodes. It's pretty much two hours and 40 minutes. And it was better than the Justice League. And so this season going in, especially being called Elseworlds and getting the main plot synopsis, uh, I was really excited. And it definitely delivered in those first two episodes. I mean, it was hilarious. We got to see, spoilers, we got to see Barry do the salmon ladder, which was hilarious. And I just think if Oliver would have been able to hop up there and do it in flash speed, it would have been even better. The story itself was cool, uh, but after getting to the last episode... The whole crossover was there to set up next year's crossover, which is, spoilers, going to be Crisis on Infinite Earths, which makes sense after seeing this these episodes. What did you think of Batwoman? I think finally being able to see Gotham in that kind of, that kind of setting, because with Arrow and Flash, it's a lot darker. I mean, they've, they're still, you know, at this... At a certain point, they're, you know, teen superhero shows. But, you know, they definitely have a dark feel to them. And I was kind of cool for once to see Gotham, and I felt more of a comic book feel. Like, I know you have Gotham, the TV show, but that, I thought it was always a police drama. You know what I mean? That's what I thought of it when I watched it. Not that it was bad, but to see Gotham in this light was really cool. Especially, spoiler, going to Arkham and what happens at Arkham, I thought was, um, that was the highlight for me. I mean, there's a lot of cool throwbacks that I liked, especially in the first episode, Big Smallville fan, like yourself, to hear the theme song again, just for that brief second, was really awesome. And the scene that followed that whole Smallville transition was so soap opera dramatic. I was like, oh my god, this is a Smallville scene. It really brings me back. My my roommate asked if it could be over already, but the whole time I was just in nostalgia mode. Like, oh my god, they actually recreated a scene from Smallville. So I thought that was pretty funny. They just need to bring Kristen Kruk back. I needed Lana Lang back in my life. I did like how Lois called him Smallville. I did like the little things like that that they kind of sprinkled. And of course, it being on the Kent farm is A+. Batwoman was really cool to see. After hearing that she was going to be in the episode or in episodes, I was really excited because I thought it was going to take place a majority of the time in Gotham. And we only got her for like one episode. Um, and then at the end of the third episode, so... I mean, they kind of used her as a teaser, which I'm okay with, but it just, that was the first thing that 
they came out with about the Elseworlds crossover was that she was going to play a part in it. So I was just really looking forward to seeing her more. But every time she was on screen, minus her weird bat voice, she she killed it. I thought I think she'll do a really good job on the CW, especially if they're using this type of Gotham where Batman is a is a legend, as they put it, which was really cool. Oh yeah, it was almost like folklore. I mean, he kept referencing it, where you know he would say he's not real, and I just thought that was quite. I don't know. You see Superman obviously in Supergirl, and you also see him in Elseworlds, but you know. I don't really know a whole lot about Supergirl, so I, I can't say if he pops up all the time. But to me, it was like Batman almost felt like a, a superstar. You know, that's the way they made him feel. At least Barry. Even when Barry references him, he references him like a little kid, you know, reading a comic book. It's kind of awesome to, to know that they kind of paid, paid him homage like that. It's hilarious because Oliver, when he said, no, I am the first vigilante, I thought that was hilarious. As far as Superman on Supergirl, apparently based on somebody else's knowledge who watches the show. Uh, he only shows up like three times. Twice in season two and then once in this season. And so his scene at the end about, spoilers, him and Lois going to a different planet to have their kid just felt really unnecessary. I don't know, the, the big big problem, and not even a problem, but the big thing that I noticed about these crossover episodes was it was similar to two seasons ago where every episode was... It felt like a Flash episode, then it felt like an Arrow episode, then it felt like a Supergirl episode. Whereas last season, it was, you've got one full story, and yeah, you might have the characters pop in, but it doesn't feel like anybody's episode. And it it just kind of took away from that a little bit. They were still really cool episodes, but I think that they could have done better overall. Now, I have a question. With, like, Black Lightning, is he's is I know he's... Is he in the same universe and along that same timeline? Is there any way that they would possibly bring him in in a future crossover? I know he's kind of off doing his own thing. Same with uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Legends of Tomorrow has kind of taken its own interesting, different type of path, which I'm cool with. I mean, Constantine on the show this season has been great, but it's just very different than the rest of the Arrowverse shows. Black Lightning isn't technically an Arrowverse show because it's not set within the same capabilities currently it's it's a strictly separate show but there's always that possibility that barry could travel to earth 596 and pick him up it just kind of depends on what's going on right now black lightning has a very in-house type of issue like it's all about his city his small town and and kind of what's going on there so it's hard to kind of step away if that makes sense oh yeah and i see like i said i don't watch the show and I, but I do know it's, I know it's really popular, and so I know I was just consider, wondering if they were going to consider to bring all of them together. I mean, bring all five shows. I guess technically six if they do the the Batwoman show. That would be insane. Which I believe they said awesome, is coming in twenty nineteen. But it would also be many hours. And yes, Batwoman comes out in twenty nineteen. Yeah, but they don't mind doing you know three night crossover as it is. That's already you know close to what two hours. I mean, we're talking taking out commercials. A full runtime. I mean, that's a that's a good, decent, long movie. Yeah, it's it's something that they could do. I think a little. The biggest thing is the two big things are scheduling and overall story. Like you have to be able to bring them in in a way that doesn't seem outside of the world. Like if Flash just pops in and is like, "Hey, Black Lightning, I need you," it's just gonna feel weird. But if you 
build that up, kind of like how Barry went into Supergirl's season one episode, um, where he just kind of pops in, but in his episode, it's only been half a second. He goes, how long has this been? If they did it like that, it would be interesting, but they couldn't just throw them all together. No, yeah, I get it. I mean, I, I just think it'd be something cool. I enjoyed this year. I actually can't wait for Batwoman. I think I I really think she did a good job. Yeah. I thought the the Gotham that they showed, or at least the, what they teased. I mean, even going to Arkham, I thought that was really awesome. They they were really going for it. The the one scene, did you see Bane, uh, Bane's mask on sitting on the bookshelf? Yeah, next to Victor Freeze's gun. Yeah, I thought that was pretty awesome. But see, I like the fanboy like that because. I don't get to watch as I don't want I don't watch as many of them. Like I don't watch Legends of Tomorrow. I don't watch Black Lightning, so I don't really know what's going on with them. But from what I see, even from when Supergirl pops in, I enjoy it. I mean, I, I'm big Flash and Arrow. I mean, Arrow was the first one. I fell in love with that, and that was that season six. Now they're on. Uh, yeah, I definitely enjoyed them. Um, what else? Uh, what else have you seen this week? It's seven, but you can skip six. It wasn't that great. Why skip six? You didn't like six. Nobody liked six. I like season seven so far, though. Season I mean, seven's been really we'll just, good. We'll just keep talking about Arrow now. I I enjoyed it. Um. Oh well. Well, one last thing. Maybe you can throw this to. I'll throw this to you real quick. Who? What did you like more, Oliver as the Flash or Barry as Arrow? Ah, uh, that's a tough one. Honestly, both of them had their. That's what I was meaning to ask you. Both of their roles in in those two episodes relied heavily on the others. Like when. Barry was talking to Oliver, and he goes, just tell Iris that you're her lightning rod. And Oliver just busts up laughing, which is exactly what I did. I'm like, it's such a cheesy thing to say. And then he turns around and delivers that line, and she's like, oh my god, Barry. Uh, that was hilarious. But honestly, it w- Barry saying, you have failed this city, just in the way that he did, uh, that was great. I, I think Grant just killed it, but... It was also hilarious watching Stephen Amell try and figure figure out how to be the Flash. He fits every bit of that suit. I mean, which he looks uncomfortable. I think he said it was really tight. Yeah, it seemed really tight. I just laughed whenever he would run past a place. He would overshoot. You need to turn around. You overshot it by 15 blocks. That was pretty funny. What do you have going on in the news? Night Flyers, George R.R. R. Martin's sci-fi horror TV show on sci-fi. Uh, just finished its first season. Uh, it was broken up pretty interesting, kind of like how they did 12 Monkeys uh, the last two years. They gave the first five episodes over five nights last week, and then the last five episodes over these last five nights ending yesterday. Really interesting show, really slow, but really good, like very intriguing. Once you hit episode three or four, it just kind of takes off and, and doesn't stop. Uh, David F. Sandberg, who's directing Shazam, he said that after the first of the year, we should be getting a new trailer for that. Amy Adams doesn't think she's going to play Lois Lane again in the DCEU. Um, I think she just said that she kind of got that feeling. Is this because of Henry Cavill and him not come, wanting to go back to Superman or the rumors of him quitting and then not quitting? I don't, I don't even know what's confirmed or not confirmed anymore. Nobody does. Uh, there was big... Big news that that Cable wasn't going to return, but then he posted this cryptic video on Instagram where he lifted the Superman action figure up, so nobody really knows. Um, Same thing with Ben Affleck. But as far as Amy Adams, based on whatever conversation she had 
um, a couple days ago. She doesn't think that she's going to play it. I, I don't know if Lois is... Lois has kind of been a secondary character in, in all the movies so far. So it kind of makes sense that she wouldn't want to... Especially after coming off of Sharp Objects on HBO. It was a very different feel. I might have to throw that into the lineup soon. You know how it is. There's so many shows. So little time. It's a very heavy show. Just a forewarning. I think I'm okay with that. But I, I would have to be able to sit down and not binge it but probably watch all of them within a week or so you know maybe watch an episode a day for a little over a week i, I would probably have to do that because if not then i end up getting lost in it because you pick it up and you jump in here or there but i i'm definitely have to look it up something that i thought was kind of a bummer and kind of cool because well, they they've been working on it for a while but metro 2033 which is a book and also in an added more popular adaptation of a game that came out, I think it was roughly, like I think it was 2010 when it came out. It was on Xbox and PlayStation. Well, they've been trying to make a movie for a while, and they just said a lot of things didn't work out. According to the writer of the books, Dimitri, I'm going to butcher his, his last name, Glukowski. He was the writer of the books, and he said that a lot of things didn't work out, and he actually has the rights back to the, the, to the franchise now. So it doesn't look like we're going to get it. I always thought it was an interesting take. But they were trying to set it. It's a basically post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic nuclear fallout, and it has creatures in it. It's a very moving story. It's a really cool game. I remember playing it. I really enjoyed it. It's been a while. But they were trying to substitute Russia for the United States, and it just didn't have the same feel as like that nuclear fallout. I think that's what made the game really cool. And I haven't read the book, but I do know the game's really heavily. There's certain landmarks that you have to hit in Russia and how it works and how their society's built really plays into it versus being obviously in Washington, D.C., where the lives in Russia and the lives in the United States are completely different. So they just couldn't really make that same feel, and they were just trying to change it too much or it wasn't going to be part of the game anymore. It wasn't going to have that same feel like you get from at least most video game movies. You get that same feel. Even if it's not great, you go, oh, I kind of get this. I mean, they were trying to... I don't know. I There was never really a set of stars that were attached to it because people would fall in and out. Same with the director. They just couldn't get anything to stick. But yeah, it's the same thing where you like it, but it could have been better, especially like especially Assassin's Creed, which is such a big video game franchise. It's a lot bigger than Metro 2033. You know, I mean, they're, they're working on putting a new game out, but, you know, with Assassin's Creed, it's a game that comes out almost every year, every other year. It's a very popular franchise. And... That movie just, re- it was good, but I don't think it did it justice as well as I, th- I was hoping for. Did it a disservice. It was just, like, the the only cool thing about the movie that I liked in comparison to the game was how they used the Animus and how the Animus bleeding effect took place. Like, instead of just being strapped into this non-moving computer, you were hooked up and you were actually fighting. You were actually throwing out the moves. And I thought that was a really cool representation of how the Animus could work. But other than that, I mean, Michael Fassbender did a did a good job, but the story just wasn't there. It's hard with a video game, though. It's hard to get a correct storyline down. That's why you don't see a lot of them work. That's why you make it a TV show. Well, even with that, it's tough. Because even with a TV show, you still have to get things right. And even if you have more time to explain it, doesn't mean you always go that route. And that's the problem with any adaptation, whether it be comic. I mean, comics do are a little bit easier to, or even some novels are easier to adapt, you know, be an adaptation because it's, I mean, it depends on how much you use. They're a lot more descriptive than a video game. Video games are a lot more broad. You're not trying to recreate certain one certain scene. Like in, in some, you know, a comic or a novel, there's always that one moment 
in whatever said topic it is or whatever said property, there's always going to be that moment. Video games, you don't have that. You just have a characters and a basic plot. You know, go save the world, which is most of what, you know, those movies are. It's too broad range. And then you can bleed into other movies and feeling like other movies. So it's really hard to do. I mean, even with the the last Tomb Raider, I which I thought I thought it was a cool action movie, but you know, it didn't make me feel like I was seeing a video game come to life. I feel like you have to choose very carefully on stuff like that. I mean, Tomb Raider is an easy pick just because movies have been done, so you at least have something as far as an end of the spectrum you shouldn't go. And Tomb Raider I thought was a lot better representation than the Angelina Jolie ones granted different time as well but I, I also didn't really play the tomb raider games uh heavily so to me it was a cool action flip no and i think that's what they want that's what they try to market them as because they're not going to get a huge audience for you know tomb raider because i mean it's still a popular franchise but it's nowhere near as big as a lot of the other ones that are out right now so you have to govern it a certain way to where it's appealing to everybody but then that's when you lose you know aspects of it i mean look at the resident evil movies they just went off in such a weird direction. You know, they're not great films. I thought the first one was fun, being trapped down in uh, Umbrella. I thought that was pretty awesome. A lot of times it doesn't seem like it's done very well, and I hate to say this, there's a lot better franchises or video game adaptations that I thought were cooler, even though they weren't done as accurately. Like the Mortal Kombat movie from the 90s. Pretty, pretty awesome movie. I mean, to me, that felt like a really cool adaptation. Not saying I genuinely believed it, and I know it's not the greatest movie. You know, it's definitely not very well acted, but I enjoyed it because seeing it as an adaptation, I was like, "Oh, this is kind of awesome." I would actually like to see a new one made. They do have a basic plot and storyline now. I couldn't tell you what they are, but I mean, you go to each, you go to each, you know, world and fight whoever's on there. I think that could be fun. But you know, getting back, I guess, going all the way back to the topic. For them, it's just it's another failed property. It's you know it's hard to be it's hard to get things greenlit and done. You know, not you're, you're not always going to have such a well execution like a Deadpool movie or to me one of the best adaptations was Scott Pilgrim. You know, versus the world. I absolutely love I love the you know the anime books and I also love the movie. Yeah, the movie was the movie was great. The game is good as well. I mean, the game game's a lot of fun, even for a side scroller. Well, I mean, it was it was a game, but also it was I mean, it was a comic book, but they stayed so true to it. I just thought it was fun, like every little thing that you would get, you know, whether it be noise in the background or whenever Aubrey Plaza would cuss and it would bleep itself. I thought that was hilarious, and I just thought there were so many cool little fun things. It, it made it for a fun watch. I know I'm not a huge Michael Sarah fan, but I do enjoy that movie. So it's tough when you don't get to see things created, but at the same time too, I'd rather play the video games. I know they've got a new one. I think it's called. 2033 Exodus, I think it comes... It's supposed to come out next year. I would be down to play that, but I don't think I really needed to see a movie of it, so it doesn't hurt my feelings, but it is kind of cool. It is kind of a bummer when you don't get to see other properties get made, you know, especially when something like that that could have been a series kind of gets dead, you know, gets shot dead in the water. Yeah. So you uh, you asked me for my top 10 movies of 2018. Why? I did. Now, do you want to do Spider-Man review first, or do you want to save your top 10 for the end? I'm going to let you choose. You get to steer the ship. Let's go ahead and talk into the Spider-Verse. Okay, because I'm dying to hear this top 10. Uh, you get to see so many more movies, and I want to see where your mind is, especially in this year in movies where... You had a lot of cool stuff. I think you're gonna. I think you're gonna be surprised on many levels. But I am jealous that you got to see Into the Spider Verse, though. 
it, from watching the trailer over and over because it looks so awesome. I think I talked my wife into go seeing the go seeing it this weekend. So fingers crossed. But I want to hear what you thought. Try not to spoil too much of it. I do want to know how you liked it. Oh yeah, this is a fairly this is a fairly spoiler free. Okay, cool. A lot of it is is aesthetics and and it's story, pretty, uh, but without spoilers. So, uh, I mean, the animation style took a minute to get used to, but it was it was basically like it was you were watching a live comic, which was really cool. The other Spider People, I won't say Spider Men because there are various female. Well, you can say Spider People, such as Gwen. Yeah, I was gonna say Stacy. That was fun. yeah. I was gonna say Gwen was in the trailer, so you can at least you know bring her up. Yes. Yeah, so the the animation style differed from Spider-Person to Spider-Person, which is really cool. Because, again, as you saw in the trailer, you see Peter Porker. He was more so 2D drawn than than three-dimensional, which is really cool. It was something that I noticed that I was like, that is very cool. Because they are from different universes, clearly. And to kind of show that in a subtle way was really cool. As far as a Spider-Man movie... This was the Spider-Man movie that fans wanted but never got. In the sense of this this movie was made for Spider-Man fans and not just casual Marvel people or casual moviegoers. This is this is a movie that is specifically made for Spider-Man fans. Uh, which as a huge 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 Spider-Man fan was really cool to see. I mean, don't get me wrong, Homecoming is still high up there, probably number 1 in live action. But this one was surprisingly good. Now, you see a lot of straight-to-DVD, you know, animated superhero movies. You know, ones that are a little bit more of an adult. What makes this one so much different that it had to be in theaters? Obviously, I know it's good, and the reviews say it's good. And everybody I've talked to so far, like yourself, said they really enjoyed it. But how, why is this not one that just is going to pop on, up on my Netflix? Why is this one so much better that they had to put it in theaters? Well, for one... It's a Sony flick. So they're going to at least try and come out with it in theaters, especially since based on this movie, it seems they could build a franchise from it, a separate than the MCU Spider-Man animated franchise. as a mouthful. And so they want to see how well it does in theaters. I mean, overall, the, the budget was, I think, 30 to 50 million, uh, which still is, is a lot, but it's still not a lot in the grand scheme of things, especially after making... 800 million on Spider-Man Homecoming. So I think a lot of this is kind of a test. If it does well in theaters, then they know that they can can build it. And this is a heck of a movie to start something from. There's so much going on. They open up the entire multiverse in one movie. See, and that's what I like. I mean, that's one of the things that drew me to it is you got to see Miles Morales and then you got to see Peter Parker together. And for basic comic book fans, obviously you know how big Miles Morales is in the comic books now. But it's kind of cool to see him, especially with, uh, as you see, Peter Porker, who's voiced by John Mulaney. He's a funny stand-up comedian, and he seems to kill that every time. I would watch an entire Peter Porker movie. I've heard he kills it. I mean, I'm a big comedian fan, so I, I think he's quite funny. And I heard his, as soon as I heard his voice, I knew who it was. And I'm not saying that was a perfect role, but casting him as Peter Porker, that's pretty strong. Well, and then you've got Nick Cage as Spider-Man Noir, which was an interesting choice. Like, it worked for the character, especially with how he was introduced. Like, every character gets their own introduction, which is cool, and they do it in a cool way. 
Um, and so it made sense as to what world he came from, why he would sound like Nick Cage and not crazy Nick Cage, but like sullen and downtrodden Nick Cage. Okay. I mean, it's Nick Cage, so I, I'm never disappointed. I'm just curious. I mean, you've got a whole spectrum. <laughs> Some of the, so the cinematography, if you can call it that, uh, was really cool. When viewing it, it viewed as if it was shot with a camera. And I don't know how they how they animate something like this, if it's all just on the computer or if they have some type of motion capture. But regardless, the cinematography was really cool with the fight scenes, with even some of the just regular, you know, speaking scenes, non-action scenes. It was really cool. The action scenes, when the camera moves fast, makes things a little bit blurry. But I think some of that, too, was just getting used to the animation style because it didn't seem to come up after the first 10 or 15 minutes. Kingpin looks very different. He is kind of larger than life. Like, he's a big dude in the comics and even in the, the Daredevil live action. He's always been a big dude. But here he was, like, seemed like he was 10 feet tall, 10 feet wide, and his shoulders were the broadest shoulders I've ever seen, which worked for the animation style. Yeah, so it, it felt like a comic book. Yeah, but also felt a little bit off because I haven't seen that Kingpin ever, like that style. With kind of how he looked, how the animation looked, it was cool because some of the, even the smallest things, like the, the plunks, uh, you were talking about Scott Pilgrim live action. How when he's hitting his head against the light post, it shows like the boink, boink. Yep. There was a little bit of that, not so much in the overuse of like thought bubbles or, or, or anything like that. But when he's knocking on the door, you can see like little black streaks showing the sound is hitting, which is really cool. It was just something small that I noticed. Now, is this movie, can you go and see it and be a kid and, and just enjoy it as much as being an adult and seeing it? Absolutely. You want to make it for everybody. So d does it feel like a kid's movie that a kid would just enjoy if he didn't know anything about Spider-Man versus someone who's versed in the comics and stays up on everything current? Yeah. So how they, how they show and do the intros of the characters explains how they became Spider-Man in like a quick one or two sentence. And so it's cool because you, I mean, not a whole lot of people are going to know who Miles Morales is in the Spider-Verse. And so to get the different intros like that was really cool because you got backstory, but you didn't get an overuse of, oh, Uncle Ben, you don't get 20 minutes of Uncle Ben dying and tell you that with great power comes great responsibility. Although there was a good joke about that. No, okay, that's, a, that's what I like to hear. I like, that's what I'm liking to hear with a movie like this. Because I've been intrigued on it. I know when it was announced, people weren't, weren't sure about it because it was going to, going to be animated. A lot of people were looking forward to another, you know, live action Spider Spider Man film. But you know, we after making that deal with Marvel, now treated us to an animated, and it seems like it's delivered so far. I don't know how it's going to do. I know it's opening weekend, so I'm not sure how big the numbers are going to be. But I know I want to see it, and I'm an adult. And I to me, it just looked really cool. The trailer really sold me on how deep they're willing to go and it felt like a big it felt like a big movie for a cartoon. You know, a lot of cartoons just have a basic premise. I know obviously this is a superhero flick, but most time when you see something animated it comes across a different way. This really wanted you to be in depth in it and really just want to sit there and I guess for people who are comic book fans want to freak out about it and kids who want to go see it are going to be in shock and awe about how everything looks on the screen, especially you said, you know, all the different styles of animation that are in it and obviously all the different styles of Spider-Mans and Spider-Women girls out there. I don't know, that's something different to me. I I'm, I'm really hope they do something further past this. Uh, well, based on the after credit scene, spoiler, there is an after credit scene, so stay yes. after. 
I uh, will. Because it's worth it. It's it's just, it's small, it's funny, and it kind of opens up for more, but doesn't at the same time. Like, they could go either way. But it was just, it was really fun and funny to see. So they, they, could, they could do kind of whatever they wanted to. So if they want to do a sequel or... They have that freedom. And I, I think this movie will do well, just because of the one of the time that it's coming out. I mean, kids are just getting out of school for holiday break. And especially Spider-Man, you're, you know, we're not getting a live-action Spider-Man until next year. So this is a very cool way of giving us what we want and feeding us for what we want more of. Yeah, see, I'm glad that we're going to be, hopefully we're going to be hearing them announcing a sequel very soon. Uh, and then a sequel to this. Yeah, did they already announce a sequel to this? No, not to this. I thought you were talking about uh, live-action. No, 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 no. I was like, bro, we got that like months ago. Tom Far Holland spoiled it for everybody. I know he did. But I'm still waiting on this trailer. I keep hearing about the synopsis and, you know, reading it online and what it's supposed to be about. And I really want to see it. Marvel, if you could hurry up on that, make everybody's dreams come true. Which I'm <laughs> guessing they would save it till Christmas and then drop it on Christmas so it just breaks the internet even more. Speaking of Marvel, though, and where it is now, Stanley had a cameo in good old Stanley fashion. And oh. I almost cried. Because it was just, the scene itself was great, and his his line just kind of, it, it made me miss him. I think everybody misses him. Steve Ditko, his name shows up on a cell phone, just as they're scrolling by. I happened to catch that. I thought that was really cool. And then there's a kind of a background mention of Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man movies. Like, it looks like it, sho- it shows up on one of the TV screens. Oh, really? Yeah, like an animated version of Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. I think it was a scene in Spider-Man 2 um, with, with how the how he was moving and stuff. But something to keep an eye out for. It's there toward the beginning. I thought it was cool. I love all the Easter eggs. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of them. I mean, I'm going to have to watch it three or four more times just to even get close to catching them all. But overall, man, it was it was an experience. It was really cool. It was... Just under two hours, which is saying something for for animated movies. I mean, most of the times they're 90 minutes to an hour 40. And so to to see it run almost two hours, it definitely used that time wisely. So I'd I'd say it's definitely worth the admission. Ah, there it is. There's our shameless plug. So, (laughs) all right. So I got two more things I want to talk to you about, and then we'll get into your top 10 list. First, I know we got the holidays coming up. We've got three big movies coming out. I want to know... Rank them. Which ones do you want to see between Bumblebee, Aquaman, and the Mary Poppins? Well, going uh, three, two, one, I'd probably have to go Mary Poppins for number three. Um, nothing against Mary Poppins, the character, or Emily Blunt, who's playing her. Mary Poppins, I haven't really seen since I was a kid, so it's more just specifically for my childhood. Not necessarily nostalgia. Yeah. Bumblebee'd probably be two, because, I mean, I've watched... I remember going to see... July 4th weekend, the very first Transformers movie, and it was really cool. I've seen all the other ones, but I've kind of waited for them to come out digitally. I might go see this one in theaters just because it's been getting a lot of positive reviews. Yeah, I was about to say that. It's It's a new director, which is different. And then Aquaman. Aquaman, for me, is the number one mainly because it's going to show us the future of the DC Extended Universe. If they're going to, if this does really well, I mean, we've already got Shazam and Wonder Woman 1984 on the way, but if this doesn't do well, then DC kind of has to think about their whole plan. Based on what it's been doing 
overseas though it opened last week overseas it's been doing well and the reviews have been really good so I'm, i've gotten high hopes and it's two hours and 23 minutes which is something that dc finally took their head out for because justice league was just under two hours and they thought that the long run time was their issue and it was not their issue it was not their only issue in the least so i'm excited to see that that they kind of pulled out from that and have given James Wan the freedom to to explore that and use that time as wisely as he wants. He's a very good action director, so I don't see him having a problem with, you know, a big movie like Aquaman. He's also been tasked with directing the Stephen King adaption of The Tommy Knockers, which Ooh, really? I'm really excited for. That comes out uh, next year, the year after, I think. He got assigned to that, or he, I guess he got the job for that. So I'm really excited to see what he does with it. I might have to look more into that because I didn't know about that. There's a like a three-hour movie that was it was kind of a mini series about in like 1993. Uh, you can watch that if you want, and then when you watch the the new one, you can appreciate it more. I might have to. I might have to. It's throw a that good in movie. Well. It's just dated. No, I mean, I I'm looking forward to seeing Aquaman. You know me and how I feel about DC movies. I won't see him in the theaters. I mean, I only I think the last one I did see was I think the only one I've seen is Wonder Woman in theaters. Everything else I've seen as it's come out on digital, but I I think we're what we're gonna go see is definitely Mary Poppins. I've been reading up a lot on that, and not only that, I I watched a like a 2020 special. Yes, I'm that old that watch 2020 specials sometimes, but they had a really interesting on how they made. As, at least you don't as long as you don't go the 60 minutes route. No, I, I I don't eat my dinner at four p.m. and then watch sixty minutes at five. I'm not I'm not I'm not quite there yet. But with with just watching the special, it's really cool to see how they you know they they tap back to original creators and in is illustrating now in a movie like this. You know, even with the budgets they have, when they can do you know you know digital animation, they're not doing that. You know, they're still writing in. I want to hear more about Lin Manuel Miranda's songs and what he brought to the film because obviously he did Moana and he's known for Hamilton, but this is a really big test. I mean, this is a lot of responsibility. Moana was kind of its own thing, but it was still animated. This is a legacy. This movie has been around for 50 years and it's lost. It's a little bit of its muster over the years. It doesn't seem like it was one of those. It was classic, but it was never really brought up that way. And it's kind of cool to see it get second legs and especially a sequel that this you know, obviously this later on in technology's advanced so much. Looking at it visually, I don't see a problem with what they're doing. I don't think anything looks too cheesy or looks under or overdrawn. You know what I mean? It it I like the little bit darker feel that you get, you know, especially with them dancing in the rain and then you see I think you see them with a night scene outside, you know, on the stage. It looks really cool. I I like the feel of it. I like the little bit darker vibe. Not saying it's a dark movie, but just, you know, the filter that they put on it just gives it a whole different look to the movie. I'm really interested. I never thought I would be interested in Mary Poppins, but I really am. Yeah, you'll have to let me know how it is. If you go see it in theaters, then you can tell me if it's worth the admission. I actually think we're going to go see that uh, Christmas Eve. I believe we're going to go check that out. Because I believe it comes out. I think it comes out on Wednesday next week. I know one of them has. I know one of those movies has a weird, uh, weird middle of the week start time. But I would be down. I'm really, I'm really excited to see it. I'm down to see it. But the last thing I wanted to bring up is a new trailer for a Netflix movie, which is kind of my not get up on, but get prepared for. It's called Triple Frontier. Did you watch the trailer yet? 
I did. Uh, it's actually quite a compelling trailer. Yeah, it's uh, it's got a lot of stars. They're not all A-list, but they're all really good. You got Charlie Hunnam, Ben Affleck, uh, Oscar Isaac. I mean, it's got a lot of people. Who else is in it? I forget. Uh, what's the last guy's name? Garrett Hedlund, most yep, known that... for Tron Legacy. Yes, there it is. Um, and then I can't remember his name. Um, the the fifth guy he was in Game of Thrones. He got his head smashed. Spoiler alert. Uh, that would be a lot of people. So, or just death in general with Game of Thrones. It's kind of hard to follow all this along. That's true. Not really a spoiler when pretty much everybody's dead. <laughs> Nowadays it is. I'm still waiting on that last season. I'm excited for. But getting back to this. I thought this was interesting. This is, to me, this is a bigger budget action movie. I mean, it really has that feel. Yeah, it it feels higher quality. Uh, I don't know if that, I mean, you can tell that it's being taken just a little bit more seriously. It's a story that is going to be very hard hitting, both on a United States front as far as patriotism, but also as just a kind of a heist movie type of, of story. And so I think it's going to be an interesting watch. I was actually surprised that it was Netflix. I didn't notice it at first. And so it'll be it'll be interesting. It'll be nice to kind of be able to sit in on my couch and watch it instead of having to go to the movie theater. But I, it does look really good. This is the first movie I felt this way where I go, wow, I actually don't have to go to the theater to see this. I mean, because there's those movies that sometimes you go, oh, you know, I'll wait till that hits, you know, stream streaming or I can pick it up on digital. This this is nice. That it's you you know when it's coming. I believe it said March. There's no official release date yet, but I mean th- this this feels different quality. You know this seems like this is they're trying to step up their game. Cause yeah, I find it. I always joke around with my wife. I call it the hallmark of uh, our generation. I know Hallmark's still around, but with these <laughs> cheesy uh, holiday flicks that are on there, which I see quite a few of them, unfortunately, you don't get. There's not a lot of great execution on some of these movies. Bright, I think, is the the most well-known other big action movie that you I could think of on Netflix. I know there's a ton of them, but with as many stars or a major star like Will Smith, like in Bright, um, I think this is a really I think this is a big step forward because I think they liked what Bright did, and I think this is where this came from. This is why it's coming almost two years after Bright. It'll it'll be interesting to see how well it does. I mean, the the tough part about Netflix is they don't release any of their numbers. So we won't be able to really see how popular it is outside of like IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, it's basically just if critics liked it or hated it. I know it sucks when you don't know how many people actually stream things. But I kind of don't mind that because a lot of things I watch usually end up getting picked up. I mean, and you usually can get the general consensus from everybody when they like something or they dislike something. I mean, if people really like a show that sticks around... It sticks around. Like Orange is the New Black, really big show. And a lot of people engage with it. And that's why you always hear it seems to be a good show. Also gets nominated for awards as well, too, which doesn't, you know, that doesn't hurt. Well, with that being said, now I've waited for about a week now. I asked you to collect the list. And obviously, I don't believe I've even seen 10 movies in the theater this year. So I can't really give a top 10 list. Uh, if I had to give one, Avengers Infinity War is my top movie. I love Deadpool 2 and The Incredibles 2 were probably my favorite movies. I think those are pretty much all the ones I've seen in theaters. That's actually pretty hilarious because those are just some of the movies that I purposefully left out. Ooh. My top 10 includes movies that I think people should see that came out this year and and not so much 
what my favorite was. Because, yes, Avengers Infinity War would be my favorite. But that's also, as a standalone movie, you couldn't just go watch that movie. You couldn't just go watch Deadpool 2. You might be able to watch Black Panther, but I, I made my list with an exclusion of franchise movies. Because, Ooh. one... You want to be able to sit down and watch one movie. You don't want to have to feel like you need to watch previous movies. And so that's kind of how I built my list. Well, I like that. I also built it without putting any numbers. So these are just 10 of the top movies and not necessarily a ranking of the top 10 movies. Now, the first one I'm going to say is both a franchise and not a franchise, depending on how you take it. Halloween. Ooh, I really wanted to see this one. I love slashers. I love everything horror. If you know me, I love horror. I was really bummed I didn't get the chance to see this. I really want to know what you thought of it. I mean, just give me a brief summary. I know we've got ten of them here, but... Michael Myers kills some people. Oh, does he? <laughs> um, that's a, that's, is that a spoiler alert? If you've seen any other Halloween movie ever... <laughs> it, no, it won't be. No, this one was really cool because it basically threw out the previous seven or eighteen different Halloween movies... And acted as a direct sequel to the 1978 original. And so when the credits started rolling when it first started, it had the orange color and, and the glow. And it was really cool because I was like, this feels like a Halloween movie. It doesn't just feel like a movie with Michael Myers. This feels like a Halloween movie. And it was very interesting to see the old school and the new school type of horror. Like the slasher horror with the environmental horror that that movie brought out i thought it was really cool there's even a very slight moment of humanization for michael myers which is really really cool as far as if you're a halloween fan just like based on the the original eight out of ten i believe that's hitting streaming i believe that hits digital right around christmas time it's either the, it's either on christmas or it's the week after christmas that for that it's gonna hit so i'm excited to check it out i was really bummed that i didn't get a chance to see it again but i'm excited you know, yeah, you talked it up big time, you know, even pre previous before going to see it. But I am really intrigued about that moment of humanization that you talk about with Michael Myers, because that's not really a, a moment that you really you've seen. You've never seen that. Right. I mean, my my favorite still Halloween H two O. Don't ask me why. I just think it was because on it was on all the time. But it's fun. It is fun. It, that's one one of the more fun ones. But that's what I, that's what I like to hear. So. I'm excited. That's that's another one that's been on the list that I can't wait for it to come out to, to watch. But oh, we'll, I'll patiently wait for that one to hit. What's your uh, What's your next movie? Uh, my next one is Black Klansman. Spike Lee joint, right? Yes. It was hilarious and serious and very informative. Um, I mean, it was kind of just an all around. I mean, the preview and the trailers make it seem like just a straight comedy. But there are some heavy, serious moments in it. But it also shows you, it showed me the difference in technology when this story takes place. It's based on a true story and what we have available to us now. Essentially, the, the whole story is um, this African-American cop infiltrates the local KKK membership by talking to them on the phone and having Adam Driver show up in person. So they were both two halves of a whole person, and they kind of just how this con ran out with 
with trying to take the KKK down. And Topher Grace, I don't think I could have ever imagined Topher Grace to throw out that many racial slurs. And it was baffling the most. But it was also funny because, you know, he's Eric Foreman. So it's just funny to see him in that type of role. But it was also just a, it rolled off the top. Did it? So the delivery was, was definitely Did it there. make you uncomfortable? Because I know when I watched 42, and I don't know if you've seen that movie, with Chadwick Boseman, I believe, it, yeah, he was in it, Chadwick Boseman, the the one scene where they're in Philadelphia and he is saying the N-word and it just so comfortably rolls off the tongue, you know, the skipper for the opposing team is just giving him all kinds of nonsense during the game. And it made me really uncomfortable. It Does that, does a racism like that come off to you in this movie? This movie will compound on top of that. Really? Like, there is a heavy use of, but I, I, that's because a, a lot of it revolves around them being in the midst of clan members. It's like, yes, it's going to make you uncomfortable, but just to see how it all unfolds and to see the the actors do it, to see how it all comes together, is very interesting to watch. I've heard nothing but good things, and I know you've seen it. I know a couple other people have seen it. I've... I've been intrigued, especially with hearing Topher Grace was in it, just because I, if you could have told me he was going to be in one thing and you gave me a hundred guesses, I would have never guessed a Klansman. I think it was uh, nominated for a Globe and Golden Globe. I think I think you're right. Next one on my list is Searching with John Cho. Those of you who may be familiar with, I just I remember I just asked you about this movie, Harold and Kumar. Yeah, he's from Harold and Kumar. I remember asking you about this movie, and you were trying. I we were going to go into it a little bit deeper, and I want to know what you really thought about it. It was very surprising. Just it, it kind of caught my list earlier in the year, and it wasn't even released until like end of August. I don't know. Some drew me to it. I checked it out, and it was really cool because it's told from various cameras: cameras on a cell phone, on a computer, desktop on a computer, news cameras. I was actually pretty surprised about that. Using all of these different types of video camera systems to tell this story. And you see a back and forth between kind of what happened then, what happened now. And it was very interestingly told. It kind of shows you, you know, how much do you really know about what's going on. You know, uh, you don't want to be overprotective, but you don't want to be careless either. It kind of pinpointed that, like what, what she's going through what he's going through and then in the background there is like in the background on the various videos on youtube that you could click on um, there's an entire alien invasion so keep out for that very low key but keep an eye out that takes a weird turn it's, it's just there in the background like it's not something i didn't even notice it the first first time going through i actually read an article about it but it's something that is there the directors said they needed something to fill the space and then it just kind of turned into a running joke and then a full-out invasion. But again, not something that is prevalent to the story, just there in the background that's fun to keep an eye out for. That sounds awesome. Now now I want to see it even more. That's just a cooler dynamic that now... I love Easter eggs. I don't know. I just love something when, you, when you're when you watching a movie, you always get to look out for something else. It kind of always makes you stay even more focused on the movie than you normally would be. So, Have you seen First Man with Ryan Gosling? No, I have not. That is the next one on my list, and that is definitely one you should check out. Remind remind me of it. I I remember hearing it. Once you once you start talking about, it, I'll probably click in for me. Uh, it's the story of Neil Armstrong and landing on the moon. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Okay, all right. I remember now. Go ahead. Two hours twenty minutes. 
doesn't feel like it feels like it goes by pretty quick. It's a very heavy story. It shows you a realistic point of view of what it took to get to the moon. I think Gosling portrays Armstrong really well because he kind of keeps quiet, keeps to himself. Anytime he speaks, it's with purpose, kind of like how he is in, in real life. I think Buzz Aldrin said that that's a really good portrayal of him as well. It was just, it was really cool. The music was amazing. The whole last like 30, 40 minutes, the score just took over my mind. And it was all about the visuals and the music. Not even, like it wasn't story. It was just watching and listening. And so it was really cool. The uh, The rest of the cast, I mean, they had a pretty pretty big secondary cast, supporting cast. And they did, they did great as well. A lot of people didn't really like that you didn't see Neil plant the flag on the moon. But I think that's one of those things, if it can be recreated in Hollywood... Maybe the other one was, you know, maybe that's one argument for people who don't believe that the moon landing was real. Oh, conspiracy. Conspiracy theory. Okay, yeah, I get it. It could also be from a respect standpoint that, no, the only person that planted the flag was Neil Armstrong. Regardless of who Ryan Gosling is portraying, he is not Neil Armstrong. Like, it could have gone both ways. Yeah, absolutely. He's not an American hero. It was a choice that I didn't mind. Like, I was there for the story. I wasn't there to see him plant a flag. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You're not looking for that one singular moment. Yeah, I remember hearing about this. I I love space movies. I love history movies as well, too. Um, how does Ryan Gosling really do in it, though? How, I mean, because he's been hit or miss. I mean, he's been hot lately with what he's been in. I mean, does this keep it going? Do you think this... He kills it. He kills it? He kills it. It's not a movie... You know, some of his movies are about him being a pretty boy or being the smartass. No, he is... He takes on Neil Armstrong very seriously, and you can tell that through the whole movie. Is that out? Is it all out on streaming now? Not yet. Should probably be coming out soon. It came out in theaters mid October, so it should be hitting probably around Christmas. Okay, I'll have to keep an eye on that because that's one that kind of gets lost when you think about all the big movies and comic book movies and all these big franchises that you kind of lose out on some of these films. So. I'm glad you're bringing that film up because I I remember it now and I'm definitely in to watch it. Now my next one is going to be on the complete opposite side. Oh, goody. With Hereditary. Um, Do you remember seeing any trailers or do you remember seeing anything about it? I have nothing for you. I don't remember. It, It came out in theaters in June, but then a guy I worked with told me, he's like, I, I would recommend it. It's very good. It's a very interesting way to, to tell horror. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll check it out. And he was exactly right. Uh, the trailers, or trailer, for the movie was done very purposefully in how it represented the movie. Not saying that it was misrepresented, but just how it went about rep- representing what happens in the movie. It's a straight horror mystery. But it's not a jump-out-at-you horror. It's not a slasher horror. It's an environmental horror. So it's just jump scares and... There might be one jump scare, but it's not a cheap jump scare. It's all about creating an environment of horror. You're building the fear in your head. Yeah. Like, the the situations themselves are tense enough to make you scared for what's going to happen next. Kind of like the... I don't know if you saw the Netflix show, The Haunting of House Hill... That was done in a very similar manner where it was the environment of horror, but it wasn't the jump out at you, look at me, you should be scared type of horror. 
And it was really interesting to see because the, the ending is just kind of bonkers in a good way. But I, I that was one I watched, I think, again, two or three weeks later. I watched it again because it was that good. That's really... that for. For nowadays, for a horror or suspense movie to, to get people for a second go-around is... That's big, because a lot of those now, you, you see it, and you go, oh, that was okay, or... You know, I'm not a big jump-scare fan. I love that environmental. I love to build that horror up in your head. You know what I mean? Just the fear. When a movie pays off where you want to watch it again, uh, that's a good film. At least a good horror film. And especially as someone who enjoys watching horror, it's hard to get scared anymore. And so this one was one that was like, oh, wow, this is this is actually a scary moment. This is, I am feeling what they are feeling. Well, I'm definitely going to keep that on the list. I think every, I think everything that you've said so far, I, I'm, I'm actually generally interested in hearing, you know, wanting to see because I didn't know about that last film and I'm in. You, you know, that's how I, you know, I love horror films like you do. So hearing something like that and that you liked it and enjoyed it multiple times, I definitely want to see it. Is that out on streaming? Can I get that? Can I watch that tonight? Uh, you should be able to. I don't know where, but I'm sure you can somewhere. Gotcha. All right, so what's next? What are we... Was, is that Are we through four or five now? That we're halfway. All right. We got five left. Next up is A Quiet Place. This is a movie by John Krasinski, starring John Krasinski, written by John Krasinski, and he kills all three. No pun intended. It's a movie that, now that it's out of theaters, is probably the best, because I went to go see it in theaters, and it's basically a silent film. There's no music, there's, I mean, they sign everything, it's a whole story about how sound attracts the monsters, and so it was basically a silent film, and it was really interesting, but during the the theater performance, there were two people whispering, and I'm one of those people that would just shut that down, because I also paid for this movie, you are not going to interrupt my movie. And it was just that type of environment where I had to take drinks from my soda at the right moment so that it didn't sound like I was taking a drink. It was quiet throughout. So being able to watch that at home now is going to be a lot nicer because you don't necessarily have those distractions or, or, or other things. And you have the freedom to back up if you miss something. That's too stressful for me. I don't know if I could sit in a movie theater and be quiet. I mean, not like talking, but just making general noise with adjusting your seat or taking a drink or biting into. It some was an popcorn. interesting experience. Uh, that's re- that's tough. I've heard nothing but good things. I really wanted to see it. I know it's out on streaming now, and I probably have sh- should have seen it already. But this is a this was an interesting one for me, especially the quiet. You know, I think I might actually be able to watch this when my my kid's sleeping because it's so. It's a silent film. I can just keep it on low. And it's hard to do that when you have a kid sleeping in the same room. You know what I mean? Like, there's those tough parts. I like a suspenseful movie that I can actually watch. Yeah. It doesn't make a whole lot of noise. This was a good year for suspense. I think they're starting to figure it out. What what else? What was that other one with um, Anna Kendrick and... Oh, Blake Lively? Yes, that's the one. I forget the name of it. A Simple Favor? Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that looks really good as well. I, I don't think it's out on streaming yet. No, it actually comes out, I believe... I believe Christmas, or it's, it's it's about to come out. I know I've been I've been trying to tracking it when it's going to come out because I was really interested in that. But I'm just saying from a from a, a thriller standpoint or a, you know a suspense movie, it's nice to see that they're having a a strong year. You know, I don't know if they're all original ideas, but just the execution and what you're get the response that you're getting from critics and them doing well at the box office. It's such a tricky genre to tackle. Because you either do it really well or you do it really bad. And that has a lot to do with the, not just execution of the movie, but 
you know, your source material. You know, if it, you know, if you're trying to copy something that's being adapted, you have to be accurate with it. You know, you have those troubles also with making it a suspenseful movie. And then these original ideas, you don't want to make it too complicated where you lose, you know, said audience, but you want to make it, you know, mysterious enough that it keeps you hooked on the edge of your seat. And that's what makes it so difficult is that that line between the edge of your seat, which A Quiet Place seems to do, A Simple Favor seems to do. Same thing with, I guess you can consider it last year, Get Out was one of those movies as well too where you didn't know where it was going. And to me... I love when you you just get a chance to watch and unfold. You don't know what's going to happen. I kind of take that guessing aspect out of it, what it might be. And I know A Quiet Place is a little bit more of a, you know, there's a horror aspect to it as well as a thriller. But, you know, still the general premise, I think, it, it boils down to, of you know, that edge of your seat feel versus, you know, what the story is about, what the execution of both does. In In one sentence, A Quiet Place is about a family trying to stay together. And so to to be able to utilize that in a way that makes us wonder how it's going to unfold, what's going to happen, you do have to be very particular about it because, yeah, it could either be really good or very, very poor. Well, I'm definitely excited about that one. That one's been on the list. I remember you raving about it when it first came out. You thought it was you thought it was really good, and I still wish I could have seen it till then. You know how it goes. I don't get out much to go see movies, but this is one where I'm glad it's now in the home and I can watch it that way. Which, funny enough, the the next one I know you've seen is Game Night. Yes, I have seen it. I thought I thought that was really good. I thought it was funny. I thought that it was the best representation of mistaken identity <laughs> in in a comedic sense. What better way to tell that story than to do it that way? Like you, there has to be that moment of. No, this is this is actually just the game, and you're you're just really good at it. And then that realization of oh, this isn't a game. Yeah, this isn't a game anymore. This is real life. That made the list. I had to have something lighthearted on here. I don't know if you have it on there, and if you do, please stop me. But tag, I also thought was a really good movie. I did get a chance to see that this year, and it's a good comedy. I thought it was hilarious, but I gave me everything. I would no spoilers or anything because I know it's still a new movie, but. You know, it takes you on a high and being funny to a serious low and you don't know how to feel at certain aspects of the movie. But I got so wrapped up in, you know, you wanted to have friends to play tag with now after this. And just to seeing how they do it right. and how Jeremy Renner, Jeremy Renner's character is so, he's so funny by being who he is and being untaggable. And that kind of whole plot through the entire movie, I thought that was so funny. And especially being married the taking it too far aspect you know when when is enough enough and how bad they were or how bad they got to it just i thought it was funny i thought that was an honorable mention if you weren't going to mention it i thought was uh i thought just thought it was a good movie i thought it was really funny and i that's one of the ones where i wouldn't mind seeing that one again i really enjoyed it too i think i've watched that two or three times but i i didn't put it on the list because it is one of those movies that i feel was really popular whereas some of these others might just kind of get the the underhand automatically like i feel like you're not part of a franchise you're automatically underhanded in that department well it's so it's so much harder to gain an audience nowadays and with original ideas though they're funny and that had a great cast in it but it's still so hard to to get legs i mean you don't see comedies break out as much as they used to i think the last one i really remember that broke out such a big big hit was the hangover I mean, maybe that's because we live in Las Vegas and we could relate and at least seeing where those places were. 
But comedies are so hit and miss. You go, oh, yeah, that was cute, or that was funny, or it wasn't very funny. And I thought both of those movies, I would go, wow, it's just such an original idea. The premise of Tag, just adults playing Tag, when the basic line to it, and they've been doing it every year. That's, I thought that was I thought that was charming. And then with Game Night, the funny comes from not knowing when enough was enough or when the, when did it get too real? When did it be not be a game anymore? I thought that was hilarious. And same thing when I thought it had a strong cast. But, you know, just with comedies, it's it's tough. It's tough for it to be really good. I think nowadays you almost have to be like Deadpool funny where it's really funny comedy, but it has to be thrown in with action and it has to be done that way. It can't just be a comedy all on its own. All right. What's your next film? Bad Times at the El Royale. Ooh, I wanted to see this. This was kind of one that flew under the radar. Stars Chris Hemsworth comes in at a point in the story. Jeff Bridges. Um, it's got quite quite the cast, honestly. Um, and the story reminds me of that movie Identity with John Cusack. Yeah, okay. Where you kind of get the unfolding of people's stories. You kind of go back and see the beginning and how they they got here. Um, it was a very surprising movie. It was very serious and very funny at times, but it was also just kind of, you know, the biggest thing is, is it surprised me. The cinematography was really cool. The way that it was written, the use of music, um, how the story unfolded, it was all really interesting and surprised the, the hell out of me. I remember seeing it. I, or I remember seeing the preview for it. I just, it, like you said, it fell underneath the radar. I, is it out on streaming yet? I think it's just about to come out. Uh, it'll prob- probably be out in, in a month or month or two because it came out, I think, last month. I thought I remember seeing it on a, on on iTunes as a pre-order. Like, they had a release date for it. I just don't remember. I know it's, I thought it was a couple weeks out. I thought it was almost a month. I thought it was into early January that it was supposed to be coming out. But that one looked really interesting to me. I didn't see, yeah, there's just a couple of them that just flew underneath the radar for me. And... That was one. Who directed that? I forget. It was directed by Drew Goddard. He's most known for The Martian uh, producer. He was a writer on Cabin in the Woods. As far as directing, I mean, he's he's kind of spent a lot of time producing. I think he produced part of the Daredevil Netflix series. It's been announced that he's doing. He's gonna be the director for X Force. Oh, okay. He's got he's got a lot. He's going a busy on. man, which is, I guess that's a good thing. And I'm excited to see X Force as well too. Ninth on the list is Eighth Grade. You had mentioned Bo Burnham and how you didn't really care for his comedy. This is a movie written and directed by him. (laughs) The reason I put it on the list is because it does a really good job of portraying somebody in Eighth Grade who isn't necessarily the most popular person. It's, It's a realistic view of Eighth Grade, of kind of being in that age group. Um, and Bo Burnham said that he kind of wrote this and directed it because that's how he feels in the world. This is kind of how he feels, but it's just almost every moment of this movie is so awkward, but it's what makes the movie. Like, you watch it because you're like, wow, this is awkward. I'm curious to see how somebody gets out of this or how somebody deals with this. And it does a really good job of putting the drama and some of the slight comedy going back and forth. Like, it is funny but it is also a drama at the same time. Well, I mean, I know, at least myself, I probably won't see it, but this is good for people who don't necessarily either know who Bo Burnham is or enjoy his work. This is a movie that they would like, especially especially like with like Kumail's, you know, Kumail Nanjiani's is the big sick, and that was a peer into his life. I think it's kind of cool that you're getting movies like this now, that are they're allowing comedians to make these. You know, both were about life experiences, 
for me, I'm not a big fan, but it is kind of cool to see these happening because you're going to see different stars are going to get this. I mean, I mean, you're getting some adaptations on Netflix. I mean, they're picking up stuff some for some comedians, and like Bill Burr has F is for Family, you know, just things like that that are shows based off of lives, off of a life. It's kind of cool to see that. I mean, I like what I like, and it's hard to change my mind. But it is cool to see this something like this be successful, or at least on your list, because this means that it's making an impact. Just not always as just like a you know, just as not as a comedian, but also putting those hats on to make a movie is yeah, it's it's hard to do. So my my respect and hats off to him, but I won't see it. Now, last on the list is a movie, uh, an independent movie that was originally released in 2017 but was released widely in the united states in november of this year okay so it is on the 2018 list fight me if you have an issue i won't fight you i'll just write you a strongly worded letter it's called time trap it was one that i was just kind of browsing about and was like sure let's let's see what this is about i watched a trailer on it and it's a very intriguing trying to think how to word this it's a very interesting look at time and how it passes outside of the time-space continuum. But it's not as scientific as that hopefully sounded. The The main plot of the movie is these students go to a cave to try and find their, their professor. He's been missing for a couple days. And once they get inside, they notice that time moves differently in there than it does outside. You kind of get to see how that works with the current timeline and how it... I don't even know how to explain this movie without it sounding confusing. <laughs> well, I get the, I, I, I sort of get the gist. Is it kind of on, I don't want to say in terms of like inception level, like with that kind of like time difference in reality, you know what I mean? Spoilers. Basically, they find that when they're inside the cave, time moves a lot faster outside. Like there's a barrier that they hit that they slow down to real time and outside is moving considerably faster than inside. Okay, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, essentially, when you go in the cave, outside fast-forwards. It's a much simpler way of, of explaining it than, than what I did. But yes, that's that's the, the main gist. And it's like an hour and a half. It's really cool to kind of see everything, see how it unfolds, see what works, what doesn't. And it's time travel and time stuff is very interesting to me. And obviously, then you get into the conversation of what kind of time travel or what kind of time-space continuum are we working with. That is something for a later date. DeLorean. <laughs> DeLorean. Flux capacitor. Back to the future. It's an interesting look at time. Is that, oh, is that what we're talking about? It, it sounds interesting. I think it's one of those movies, uh, I hopefully can most, more people can agree with me here, is it's one of those things that you just kind of have to watch to get. I mean, there are some movies like that where... Any kind of explanation is not going to do it justice. Well, I do like your top ten. I like that you made it versatile versus not just being a big franchise. You had a lot of horror, a lot of suspense, a lot of thriller, which I'm glad to see that made a strong year. I wish there would have been more comedies, but I understand nowadays it's hard. It's hard, it's hard to find a good comedy. There's, there's definitely. I think there's a, something for everybody on that list, and that's kind of what I like. And even if, even outside of it, there were so many other good movies out there this year. I mean, you know, obviously, you know all the big ones. Anything Disney, Marvel, it was out. We we're going to get more of the same next year. I'm, I'm really excited next year for the way movies are shaping up. I, you know, you have Avengers Endgame. You got the Lion King. Yeah, I mean, there's. I'm just excited. I have to watch Mufasa die in high definition. I don't know how I feel about it. 
We'll talk about that later. In theaters right now, other than Into the Spider-Verse, uh, we just had Mortal Engines open up, uh, directed by Peter Jackson. Got The Mule, directed and starred by Clint Eastwood, and The Favorite, starring Emma Stone. I, I really like Clint Eastwood. Even oh, I'm at excited. His age, I really want to watch it. I It just intrigues me. He looks I mean, old as hell. This man's a legend. Not only a legend. Yeah, it's not even at his age, though. He's still motivated to find these great movies in the... I know it's always just something different to me. Is he? I mean, yes, he does play a lot of the grumpy old man thing, but I liked Gran Torino. I thought that was great. Um, this movie looks fantastic as well, too. I think he did Unbroken as well, too, right? Um, or Unbreakable? Not Unbreakable. I that was. Could be wrong. I could be. Manite Shyamalan. No, no, it's not. I, that's that's not the movie I was. I know what I'm trying to say. In any event, with Clint Eastwood, I'm down to watch anything that he's in. Yeah, he may have lost a step, but I still think he puts out quality stuff. I think as a uh, director, man's got a vision, and I like his vision. I think he does a good job. The way he still makes movies at his age is astounding to me. Oh, yeah, he is. He he understands how it works. Yeah, he knows the movie business, but he still even picks movies that resonate with me that I go, man, I would really want to see that. And it's not always just from a... It's just Clint Eastwood. It's... I still genuinely like what he picks and he chooses to direct. Speaking of, though, Unbroken, I just looked it up. Did you know? Because I didn't. Angelina Jolie was the director on that one. That's what I thought. I was misspeaking because I don't know. I don't know what I was aiming for. There's a movie in my head, but I just probably couldn't get there. I mean, there's so many other big movies that I could have thought of. I just happened to, to pull it up. I didn't know Angelina Jolie directed anything. So that's... That's cool. Man, he's directed a lot. Yeah, see, all right, I do remember. The uh, 1517 to Paris, I don't know if you saw that. I, I dug it. I did watch it that this year. That's another one I did watch. Nope, didn't get a chance for that one. You didn't get a chance to watch that one? That's the one where, uh, they're based on true events, but this was about the, the failed uh, plane jacking that they actually stopped. Wasn't it a train? This Yeah, it was two soldiers and his best friend that, were, that went on holiday breaking down they're on the same they're on the same train as this guy trying to hijack it and it goes from there and obviously the hijacker doesn't win that's why they made a movie about it but it was really interesting how it was done I mean I remember that one I I did I quite enjoyed that that's another one that if you haven't seen and you like kind of that historical theater you know that you know these historical movies I really like same with Sully that's the one I was trying to remember was American Sniper with Bradley Cooper oh yeah that was a great movie that too. one. That was that was a heavy one. That was probably one of my favorite. He's hit or miss on some of these that I don't remember. I vaguely remember seeing, like J. Edgar. I did see it. I vaguely remember it. Same with Invictus. I do remember seeing it. I just couldn't remember it. It's been so long. That one came out in 2009, so it's probably been about 10 years since I've seen it. I try to remember all of them that I've seen. It's hard to do, unlike yourself, who's the genius and resident guru of all our movies here. There's actually an app for that. You know, you hear that all the time. There's actually an app for that. I've got an app for my TV shows and for my movies. And as of right now, I have watched in my lifetime, only counting single viewings, 2,089 movies. Oh. Like, there, there are apps for that now. What app do you use? I don't even know that. I don't have an app that counts my views. For movies, it's called Cinetrack. C-I-N-E... T-R-A-K, and then for TV shows, I use TV Time. 
that app was rec recommended to me and is perhaps one of the best apps ever for TV show viewers, especially on a weekly basis, because it will show me week by week everything that I need to watch. And then there's even discussion board posts on it. Like it's basically my Facebook because I don't use Facebook. And then so being able to talk to people who have for sure absolutely seen that episode and are watching that show, it's a really cool experience. So I would recommend to download that because I've also got almost eight months, again, single viewing, eight months worth of TV show watching down. Almost 10,000 hours. I'm almost mm. a master at watching it. Yeah, I... I don't know where you find the time during the day to do this. Do you sleep? Probably not. <laughs> well, now I'm going to have to look that up. We might have to talk more about that off this yeah. off the podcast. But Well, I had fun. Um, I'm glad we were able to talk Spider-Verse. Obviously, we're going to try and get to seeing what's in the theaters next time. I'm hoping I get to the theaters before then to watch Into the Spider-Verse. Fingers crossed. We got Aquaman coming out this week, too. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff coming out before Christmas, so I'm I'm excited to I'm really excited to see how well Aquaman does. I, I've heard good things so far. Same with Bumblebee, I've heard it's really good. I'm hoping that they perform at the box office. You know, that's how we get to keep nice things or fun things like this. So hopefully they both do well. Even me not being much of a DC fan, especially in their cinematic universe for movies, I, I'm hoping to see something cool out of it. To me, I like Jason Momoa. I think he's he A, he's dreamy, B he just seems like a really cool guy, and this role doesn't see necessarily seem tailor-made for it, but he looks like he made it his own, so I'm excited. And then Bumblebee, I'm really hoping this is John Cena's big break. He's a good wrestler. I think he's a good actor as well, too. I think he's funny. I would like to see him in a serious role that's a big-budget movie like this. I mean, this is the kind of thing that The Rock went through when he had his, his break, big breakout after... He did a bunch of those, Scorpion King and Walking Tall... He did a bunch of those right at the same time, and it kind down. of blew him up out of, out, of, out of the scene. Excited to see. Hopefully, that this this is a good stepping stone for him because I think he's a good actor, and I'd like to see him other in other things this big. And versus, you know, this, a lot of these indie movies are just really silly, awkward movies that he's in because he doesn't really star. He's always a side character in a lot of these. So I'm hoping this does well. But and then of course Mary Poppins. I'm I'm really excited to see how it is on the big screen. I think that's going to be. I think it's going to be more than just seeing a movie. I think it's going to be an experience to see that kind of animation and the way the cinematography looks. Uh, I like the feel, so I'm I'm all in. With that being said, thank you for tuning in. As always, I am B Frank, and I'm Travis, and we are worth the admission. See you next week.